Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Child sex abuse, I personally think, is the worst crime in the world. It's soul murder of the innocent. It condemns its victims to hellish, lifelong sentences of living with damaged bodies and irretrievably damaged psyches. It's a global pandemic and it's big business. My guest today has not only seen this horrific phenomenon up close, she was amazingly retaliated against by her own FBI colleagues for addressing it. A highly decorated 25-year veteran of the FBI, former Special Agent Jane Turner was fighting rampant child sex crimes and crimes against women on North Dakota Indian reservations when she was retaliated against for being so successful at it, triggering a 10-year battle with the FBI that she eventually won. Her story is deeply troubling, not only because of the criminal acts involved, but because she was attacked institutionally for exposing the failures of the FBI's child crime program. She's here today to talk about all that. Welcome to the show, Jane. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on your program. I think highly of what you do. Thank you so much. So your story is really shocking. I mean, when I, I, I that's a word I don't use lightly, but you walked nine years into your career. You were assigned to be the resident age, senior agent yeah. in charge of 70,762 square miles of Indian reservation territory in North Dakota. And you were the only agent. And prior to your being there, I mean, you came and found just a horrific situation, especially since prior to your being there, virtually not one case of child sex crimes or women's sex, sex crimes, sex crimes or crimes against women had been addressed. Is that correct? And you came in under hostile circumstances. So talk about that. Well, thank you for laying that out. Um, what, what happened is I was working in, in New York with uh, organized crime. I was a profiler, a criminal profiler, trained by some of the best people in the business, Roy Hazelwood, John Douglas. And <clears throat> so I was doing a lot of profiling in New York City and uh, doing mafia cases. And an opening came up in North Dakota. And I was from Rapid City, South Dakota. So I thought it would be a good time to head back into that area, which I really, really uh, loved. And so I took the senior resident agent position there, which meant that you're responsible for, I had, I think it was 14 or 15 counties, two Indian reservations and Minot Air Force Base. And I was really looking forward to that because there had never been a senior uh, resident agent who had been a woman before. And there had never been a woman who worked uh, Indian country full time. So I saw that as a challenge and I really wanted to do it. So I accepted it and headed out there and uh, uh, determined that yes, it was a very sad situation on the Indian reservations. Um, and these types of crimes really were not being addressed. So 
first of all, the guy who had who wanted the job, who was on, he, who was already there, uh, talk about him and what he was saying to undermine you. And I mean, you came to find a situation where, you know, like in the, you know, they, you were describing children, dead, murdered kids on the side of the road, girls, uh, you know, with damaged internal organs, uh, a kid was uh, suffocated in a fridge, uh, horrific, yeah. horrific crimes you came into, yeah. you, you saw while you were there. Meanwhile, as you came in, again, as I said, you know, which is part of your story, these crimes were not even being addressed. And there was somebody there and that somebody had wanted your job and didn't get it, right? Yes, that and, is correct. And, okay, so talk about this and name names, Jane. This is a whistleblower show. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk about old Ken. And, yeah. <laughs> and what well, he there was Old who? Isn't his name Kenneth? What was his name? Oh, uh, Peter. Peter. Okay, let's yeah. talk. Let's talk about him. And uh, his name was Peter, and he it was he had just a very short number of years, and um, he obviously was looking for bigger and better things to do than work on an Indian reservation. And um, I had really two there, one who was so concerned about getting dirty in Indian houses, he refused to sit on their chairs. And he stood when he interviewed them. He really shouldn't have been up there doing Indian work in the first place. But uh, so there was, there was really two there and both, he was a first office agent. And they really had, uh, uh, I think some hard feelings about having to answer to a woman coming in as a senior resident agent, they really should have answered to me, but from day one, they refused to. Well, didn't they spread the word around that you got the job because um, you you had screwed up someplace and so you were being sent to the <laughs> Siberia of assignments? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which had always kind of been the history of Minot that they'd sent screw ups, but I had volunteered because I was from that area. And yes, they had circulated that. They had really undermined me before I even got there. Um, but once people found out that I was really competent, uh, more competent than the two guys, it turns out, and that I was from the area, I was embraced. And of course, um, uh, I came in with an excellent reputation. But yeah, they tried to undermine me right off the bat. Um, so the supervisor. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, the supervisor was in uh, Bismarck. And I had tried for that position and I had uh, uh, career training in my background. He did not. And so I had filed a complaint that he got this supervisory job and that created a lot of hostility also. So, yeah, it was pretty uncomfortable up there with the guy agents because um, they just hated the fact that I was so good at what I did. That was the bottom line. I'll be real honest with you. That was the bottom line. They hated it. They hated I could shoot better. They hated I could investigate better. They hated that I could get so many more uh, informants. They made them up. Um, so it what? was- What? Wait, they yeah. made up informants? Oh yeah. In their reports? Yeah. Well, the ghost informants, like take for an example, an FBI agent would come to you and interview you about something. <clears throat> and they saw the possibility that they could go back to the office 
and use your name and uh, they could look up your information on uh, the driver's license, you know, on your driver's license, your date of birth, everything you need to open up an informant, sign you up, you don't even know it, and then start dumping information under your name. When you had not even provided that information. You're not even aware of it. It happened down here when I came down to Minneapolis also. Uh, <laughs> I usually stumble on these people because I work with them. And then uh, I tell them, well, you never told me you were an informant. And they went, well, <laughs> I never was an informant. So, so, all right. So you get there and you yeah. see this landscape where stuff is happening. Yeah. And, and the first thing you start to understand is these guys are not doing doing their jobs and explain the dynamic between the reservation elders police whatever and these right. guys and why no cases were getting prosecuted well it's 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 kind of different on uh, reservations uh, what what is good up in north dakota might not be good for the rest of the country but we had, uh, we worked alongside the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which is known as the BIA. They have officers, the BIA. Uh, uh, mine was Homer White Buffalo, and he was a great guy. And he used to joke about they were the seeing eye dogs for FBI agents. Because, of course, we don't live on the reservation. And they don't have addresses on the reservation. <laughs> It's, they don't have maps, they don't have addresses. It's not like you can get an address of a home and then go there, it's, it, it isn't like that at all. So you had to have a BIA officer who would take you to where that place was, where the individual resided. That's why he joked- When a crime was committed. Correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, or when you were looking for witnesses, okay. they would know where the witness was at. Whereas uh, we didn't live there. We had no clue where, Joe Blow might be hiding out, whereas they did. They could always find who we were looking for. So, okay. Yeah. So if you don't have a strong, and I, I'm, I'm saying strong hand on investigating and your BIA person, you can have stuff uh, uh, blow by you that is not true or that they're covering up for somebody. And if you don't do your job, you'll never know it. And that's what was happening up at Turtle Mountain Indian Reservation. This kid was just taking what the BIA told him. And the BIA officer happened to be a relative of the victim. Okay, so let's get into this yeah. case that that's sure. set you down the path of becoming a, a whistleblower. Right. We're talking about um, a kid named Ashkey Chapeau, right? Yes. And uh, he was three years old. Yes. And he'd been sodomized by his father, correct? Terrible, terrible. Okay. And, okay, so we'll take it from there. There's, there was two Indian reservations, uh, uh, Fort Berthold Indian Reservation, the three affiliated tribes. And that was to the west of Minot. And then to the north and uh, east of Minot was Turtle Mountain Indian Reservation. That's where the members of the AIM uh, came from. But I was doing uh, a child sex abuse on both reservations because I was just good at what I did. So, you know, the more pie you eat, the more you're given. So I was doing them on both reservations because of the results. 
And at some point I said, listen, uh, they're in opposite directions. This is taking too big a chunk out of me. And uh, so give it to someone else. And so they gave it to this kid and another uh, agent, uh, Turtle Mountain. And um, I was doing my work and the doctor got a hold of me one day who I worked with at Fort Berthold on these cases and said, uh, what's going on with this case with this young three-year-old? And I said, well, I, I, I'm not familiar, but if you fill me in. And then she proceeded to tell me he was so badly injured, it traumatized her medical team. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now that, you know, that's bad when it right. traumatizes the medical team. So the FBI so, agent in charge of looking into that hit, was that Ronald? What was his name? Ronald Sanders? No. Well, it was Peter. Peter. Oh, it was Peter again. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, no, right. no problem. So, so, uh, and she also told me the evidence was left in the uh, emergency room. So there was a camera because they take pictures for us. And they have a protocol for these cases. We might be have been a little backwoods up there, but uh, they knew how to do these cases. Right. Because uh, we had given training. So I went back to the office and asked Peter, what, what is going on with this case? And I told him, the doctor said that this little boy was, was so horrifically injured. Her medical team was traumatized. And he looked me right in the eye and said, she doesn't know what she's talking about. What did yeah. you say? What did you say? Well, I said, well, when did you get your medical degree? I, I, you know, it's just stunning. It's stunning. But I had, by that point, uh, I had been so undercut that that was just typical. So um, what but I did, he, of course, But he had yeah. been told, apparently, one of the problems is when some of these crimes occur, that they are relatives of the Bureau of Indian Affairs officials. Yes. And this was, yes. this was a situation in this case, right? And so the, the Peter, when the BIA guy um, protecting his family member, who was the father who raped this kid, said, oh, yes. nothing to see here, move along. Yes. Peter basically moved along. That's what he happened. Yeah. And he also uh, said it was a car accident and closed the case. What? And what? Yeah. Wait, yeah. wait, explain, explain how he could explain how he could a damaged rectum like that on a three-year-old, yeah. how that happens in a car accident. Because agents have the power to open a case or close a case. No, but how Look did they describe that crime? How did, I mean, how did they describe that incident? The kid was laying on the ground and the car rolled over him or and there was a spike in the tire or what I can't even imagine what is what well, story was it that they told yeah I I said what what was was it the gear shift I mean it was just so preposterous you know what I'm saying I'm not making light of it I'm just saying it was no so no no what did they know, say it, happened a car accident he he stuck to that story through the whole thing but what part of the car was went into the, this child's rectum, did he say? Do you remember? He did not say. Oh and I didn't bother because at this point, I'd had it with uh, the guys I was working with up there. They were, they were, they were, they were not uh, repairable. Let's put it that way. It's the same as in the Nasser case. You know, the guy didn't even open a 71, which is our opening a case, FD 71. 
The guy in the Nasser case here just recently um, didn't open the case, and so it doesn't exist. Well, it's the same with the cases up there in North Dakota. He closed it, so it's done. And you can open it and you can close it. So what I did, because I knew he was wrong, is that I went to the AUSA who closed it. I told him the circumstances and he reopened it. And he said, you take care of it. And I said, I will. And I went up there and uh, I retrieved the evidence, did everything. And of course we did get a conviction from it and they gave it to Peter, the statistic for the uh, conviction. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah. now, no, I'm not kidding you at all. Now, in, in some, I don't know if it was in this case or in some other cases, yeah. A, a doctor who had seen several cases of uh, sex, child sex crime abuse, uh, actually literally sent a letter to Patrick Leahy and yes. Senator Grassley. Could you talk about that? I mean, this is how non-performing, performing the FBI, these guys were up there. Well, and, and that's absolutely correct. The, the, the uh, doctor who'd seen so many of these traumatized kids did write a letter to these two senators and laid it all out, how they were not doing this or covering it up as a car accident. She laid it all up. But in the meantime, what was happening on the ground, that's up there in Washington, what is happening on the ground <clears throat> is that I had gone to see the SAC, special agent in charge of Minneapolis, and uh, whose name was Doug. And I had, you know, at that point in time, I was recognized as a national expert in crimes against children, interviewing offenders. So <laughs> I had flown down into Minneapolis from North Dakota, gone in to talk to SAC Doug and explained to him uh, that this agent had screwed up. And we needed to take a look at the cases he'd done and see how many had been covered up. And um, he told me, you have a kid of your own to worry about. Uh, yeah. What does that mean? What, what exactly was that? A what is that? Is that a threat? Uh, yeah, I took it as one. So I flew back to uh, North Dakota and I thought about it and I was standing in the uh, grocery store and uh, I wasn't sure what he meant, but I had a feeling it wasn't good. And I was in the grocery store and this thought came to me, if not uh, me, who? And if not now, when? And so I pursued it. And um, that's where <laughs> everything just went down the porcelain, you know what. So take us, walk us through what you did and what happened every step of the way? Well, I, the, the thing you got to do is take it to your SAC uh, or the acting SAC. And um, I did that. And I ran up against two obstacles. One was the acting SAC was, uh, his name was uh, James. And between James and Doug, they stitched me up so bad. Um, they forced me to move. I just bought a house up in Minot. And so the first thing they do it did was drop a letter of transfer on me. I just bought a house and there's no way you can uh, appeal that. I mean, the FBI can move you wherever they want 
anytime for any reason. Okay. Like the military. So, but in order that I didn't raise a stink, uh, they told me I would be taking over the Crimes Against Children program in Minneapolis. Instead, what I walked into was no cases, uh, no, um, uh, everybody had been warned before I got down there, stay away from me. So nobody was really talking to me. And um, so and the what happened gone. there? So what happened after that? Well, when you well, knew I, that you were doing sure. a ghost job. Yeah. In I was, Yeah. I was ghosted. And um, they just did everything psychologically, socially. Uh, they just put the boots to me every way they could. Um, they questioned me about anything. The, the SAC even said to me uh, that he thought I dressed funny. Well, I think oh, yeah. they so, I think they accused you of being gay. Oh, um, yes. they um, well, first of all, uh, talk about also you you went eventually filed um, an EEO suit. Right? I did. Now, why did. is it that you filed that suit? What happened? Well, um, it was so awful what was happening to me. And I knew it was because I was a woman. They had never done that to a guy. Never, never have done that to a guy. And uh, they were taking assignments away from me. I was the highest producing person up there that year. Uh, they did have an agent in Grand Forks whose name was Spence Hellickson. He was uh, just absolutely phenomenal agent. And one year I beat him. And it was just, I was so happy. I was just so happy because he was the star. And of course, um, uh, it just got worse. The, the, the more I did, the better I was. <clears throat> and the AUSAs were giving me cases, which uh, just fried them, just absolutely. So now I got <clears throat> all the agents in the state angry at me because, uh, you know, if you poke your head <clears throat> above the foxhole, it's going to get shot off. So why and did you file the EEO suit? That was the reason. Because I was doing a great job. Uh, I was being downgraded. I was being ghosted. So that's why I filed. And so when you filed, all your paperwork was getting lost. Is that correct? That is uh, correct. Uh, informants. Go ahead. Informants what? Yeah. Uh, the paperwork was lost. Um, I was continually fighting over it. And then they initiated a national security uh, background check on you. Yes. And what was the, what was their rationale to you about that? Um, there, was, I didn't know. And uh, of course, they came up with nothing, which must have been a stunner. When they went around the community up in Minot, uh, they did that also, and uh, everyone said, great agent, she represents the FBI, works 24-7, and they came up with nothing, nothing, zero, zero. So it, I'm sure it was uh, very hard for them, because normally that's how they can get an agent, is they just fan out and find anything. They drink, or you're gay, or you know whatever they can find, and then they'll dump you. Uh, they found nothing. So... Then, when after all this harassment occurred, you decided to file a complaint with the Office of Professional Responsibility and ran into a huge surprise there. Can you talk about that? 
Uh, pretty much it was all surprising, I have to tell you. It, uh, it, the hits just kept coming. And in fact, I had a supervisor who said to me, how can you stand this? And I said to him, is this a game of whoever gets knocked out first? I mean, he did ask me that. He said, how, how can you stand this pressure day after day? Why don't you just quit? And I was like, because uh, this is uh, That's this what is they want dream. you to do. That's what they yeah. want you to do is quit. Yeah. So you filed a complaint with the head of the Office of Professional Responsibility, John Condit, correct? Who has an interesting history, we found out later. He uh, was charged with uh, abusing children. Uh, yeah, he was convicted of sexually assaulting his six-year-old stepdaughter. Yeah. So what was but, his... A... Go ahead. Well, nothing, nothing. Because how it worked um, is <sighs> that, yeah, the Bureau was set up in a very interesting way. And the problem with the Bureau... And we have this new organization called Protect the FBI, which has just been formed by uh, James Davidson and Mike uh, Zoomer. And uh, part of this is trying to bring, bring consequences for these acts committed by agents who are never held to any standard or charge. They're no, they, they're allowed to retire with their paychecks, with their pensions oh, and everything. Some of them are the even... Time. Some of them are even, uh, you know, before they retire, they're actually promoted. Yeah. To me, yeah. it was shocking that you submitted this OPR, you know, Office of Professional Response, this complaint to them, and you're submitting it to a guy who's a pedophile himself. I did not know that. Yeah, I mean, too bad. Yeah, too bad I didn't run into him in New York because I did get rid of one in New York. But uh, an FBI agent. But no, I did not know that. All I know is, is this is the problem with the FBI. And this is what we're trying to work toward. Same thing with the Nasser, which I've been uh, talking to Grassley's people about. is this culture, uh, this conduct where there's never any, uh, uh, you know, nothing is ever happens to the agents who screw up. Nothing. Well, and they get promoted. Peter got promoted. I, he look, went out to the East Coast and, and got promoted. But it's not even about what they not do. acting. It's not even about not acting. Because that Peter guy, yeah. he knew yeah. he was covering up. He, oh, yeah. he knew he was covering up for this family. He knew it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he could not it. have known it. Okay. Yeah, he knew it. So, you know, he's, he's not dealt with. And I swear to God, and I'm trying to figure this out. Yeah. Is how how like in the nasser case you were talking because you recently yeah. have been talking about this nasser yeah. case we're talking about a lot of women here as a matter of fact simone biles was talking about how one reason why there were some things that she had not uh some of the olympic uh uh some of the olympic uh um gymnastics uh, competitions she she did not enter into and she said part of it was because of this residual stuff from from having oh, yeah. been uh, one of his victims you know and people don't understand that stuff pops up whenever it pops up particularly when you're under stress so yeah. you know but nobody everybody's going oh how could she do it but you know this this woman yeah. first of all has achieved more in her 20 some odd year old 24 year old life than you know a room full of adults, but anyway, yes, um, yes. So, 
So, so how can somebody like Nasser be allowed for years to do this? Well, the FBI had a chance, and uh, when it is really simple. Well, they brought it to the FBI. When? And, what year? What year was that? Do you remember? Um, it's 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 uh, highly noted in the media, and I'm not sure what year, but it was brought to the FBI. <clears throat> the FBI didn't even open a case, and that's what I'm talking about. If you don't open a case, nothing exists. Why and, did uh, you it, not open the case? He didn't think that it was uh, uh, fit into FBI violations. Uh, what? What do you mean? Yeah, he did. Well, it didn't fit into anything that the FBI investigates, according to him. Is that true? No, of course not. Well, what was he his had to come up? He had to come up with some reason when the pressure came on after they found out it had been brought to the FBI. But what that was the... the best he could come up with. Oh, the... I know why he didn't do it. Why? Well, as soon as they came in there and started talking about pelvic floors, that was the end of that conversation. <clears throat> and it's pretty much the same with Peter. They're not, uh, at that time, FBI agents were not really trained. You know, these people are not trained in how to do this. And it, it's, it's a very specific type of investigation. So when, he's, when Peter was confronted with this, he has no interest in, in, in looking into things like that, anal penetration and blah, blah. Um, And same with Nasser. They come in and they start talking about pelvic floors and the guy doing exams. It's a white doctor. Who's, whose word are you going to take? The white doctor or these little girls? So I can see the FBI agent. He was a supervisor. He should have known better. Don't these thinking, men have... This isn't going to go anywhere. Don't Man. they have daughters, these people? That would be an interesting question to ask. I mean... But I, I've seen this time and time again. Um, I, I don't think they feel they signed up to handle these yucky things i i can barely breathe i'm so shocked by what you're saying how can you say how if somebody is has been criminally attacked just because it's a sexual attack and not only it's a child being sexually attacked you're saying right. you didn't sign up for it and it makes you uncomfortable so oh i'm sorry you're more comfortable with, say, an FBI, a, a mafia guy chopping off, yeah. chopping off somebody's yeah. head. But if it goes yeah. anywhere below the belt, you're not dealing with it. Are you kidding? Bank me? robberies, bank robberies. Hey, those are sexy. Uh, you know, things like that. That's what people come in the bureau I, for. The glory, the glory. And there's not a lot of glory in uh, crimes against children. I never met any supervisor I, who who you know, that was their big spot to be promoted on. I, I don't know. This is so disturbing. I can't even think straight. I, okay. So that explains okay. a lot about the Epstein situation, how that was a, a, that went on for years and years and years and years yeah. and, and deals. Were, talk about that for a minute. I'm not really familiar uh, with that. And um, well, that is what I'm way above about. a lot of people's pay grade, way <laughs> above. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, I, think I look back 
to the Franklin scandal, which is now, which has been now classified as a hoax. If you go on Wikipedia, they talk about it as a hoax. The Franklin scandal was um, like a child sex trafficking ring. Okay, oh, remember that? Yes, yes. And in fact, uh, I did the West Point daycare sex abuse case. I was in New York. Yes, and here's the difference. Here's the difference. I'm trained by people like Roy Hazelwood, John Douglas, Rissler. Um, Roy Hazelwood was my mentor. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love the man. And he taught me more than anyone could ever learn in a lifetime. So when the West Point daycare sex abuse, it was opened by the Bureau because uh, a military, right? Military. So what they did was they brought up I was a profiler in uh, New York and worked uh, organized crime, but I was brought up and a couple other profilers were brought in. And we did this investigation and uh, made an analysis, which was totally correct, and did it right. But if you don't use people, see up in Minot, North Dakota, I didn't get that case. Somebody who was not trained, somebody who didn't want to work it, got the case. So what happens? Well, he closed it. And when I brought it to the attention, and at that time, like I said, I was recognized as an expert nationwide. I taught. I thought by coming down to Minneapolis and, and saying to the SAC, this is not the FBI we want or need, he would simply go, you know, find out how many cases had been closed that shouldn't have been um, dealt with this agent and uh, life goes on. That's not what happened at all. He decided, let's take out the messenger. Let's take out the expert. Why? And that's what happened. Why? And he did. Why? Uh, well, when I was uh, constructively discharged, they said I embarrassed the Bureau. And that's it exactly. They did not want anyone to find out that the FBI was covering up child abuse cases. Okay, so talk about when you were assigned to that daycare thing. Talk about your analysis and what happened. Well, um, it was very simple. Once we, when you're trained, you can, when you interview the child or the offender, you have the ability when you're trained to discern whether they're telling you the truth or not. And that's a skill. It really is. It's a skill and a talent. And we determined that uh, there was no substance to it. Now, that's great. For, for when there isn't any substance to it. And then you don't want to be going running around saying, oh, uh, at that time, you know, Satan worshiping, sacrificing kids was very big. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yes, yes, yes. That, I mean, this yeah, Franklin was, child uh, sex abuse, sex ring case was yeah. uh, allegedly connected to Satanism and all that too. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. And we determined there was no foundation. And it was true. There was no foundation. So now let's go back to this, uh, the Indian reservation situation, sure. because you don't have to be a profiler to no. look at physical evidence of a child having been set anally raped. I mean, I'm sure. Uh, no. Uh, so that's a, that's a, in a way, that's a very concrete case of sexual yes. abuse that he just passed on. And I, I just feel like 
Yeah. I don't know, Jane. Everything that you said to me is deeply troubling because what it's telling me is there really is no proper institutional training or uh, organization or structure for dealing with this pandemic situation of child sex abuse. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you come in the bureau, they knight you, you're a knight, you know, boom, and you're allegedly able to do anything. So, you know, you can do bank robberies, you can do organized crime, you can do crimes against children. I mean, you're just at that point when you get your creds, you're specially endowed with uh, the ability to investigate anything. So that's why you would get people who really are not trained. Um, they're just thrust into this role. So that's a the huge fact, institutional fault that, that yeah. you know, instead of going like, you know, when you go to university, the first couple of years, okay, you got to take English, you got to take uh, math, you got to take a little science, you got to do the general education, but then you become a specialist. You have a major and you get to know what, what's what in a specific area. So when you come out, you know something about that specific. You're saying you don't have that in the FBI? Well, over time, you could put in for follow-up classes back at Quantico. But no, once you're knighted uh, an agent, then you can be sent anywhere to do anything. I see you that. You can always go back go ahead. Uh, for further training. Like to be a profiler, I wasn't trained uh, in the new agents classes. That was training I received later when I, uh, my background was in uh, behavioral psych and um, that was my interest. So of course I put in for uh, profiling and was lucky enough to be picked out of Seattle. But that seems like a huge institutional problem that yeah. agents are just assigned and they really have no specific training in the areas to which they're assigned. And, you know, specific, especially for children's sex crimes, that's yes. like criminal to send yes. incompetent people because you're talking about these poor, I mean, nobody is more vulnerable as a group than children. That is correct. That is correct. And, uh, but it tells you more about Peter when he would say, you know, the doctor doesn't know what she's talking about. That tells you more about him than, you know, you, you want to talk incompetent. You know, they talk about the power of the creds. You come in with your creds and, you know, FBI. And that, is, you know, infuses you with a tremendous amount of power. And there are people who take advantage of that power. And he was definitely one. Well, I mean, yeah, but I, yeah. I just don't understand the headspace of somebody who's a human being who has no, who has so little thought for a child who has been damaged like that, um, especially when it's his job to do something about that, to get justice and accountability so it doesn't happen. Sure. And, and sure. just doesn't do it. I mean, it just, I, and, and w when you take that and you extrapolate it out to the whole institution, which A, does not specifically train people for this very high responsible 
responsibility task of protecting the most vulnerable, literally yes. the most vulnerable among us. And, yes. and, and, and also you can say, uh, you know, they aren't specialists in a lot of things that they might be specifically assigned to. Right. That, that is scary to me, but that also explains a lot of the quote incompetence yes. that we see across the board with yes. the FBI. And it also, because when you're incompetent, especially on high profile cases, yes. um, when you screw up, what is it that you do? You cover up. So it also explains yes. the high numbers of uh, the, the, the outrageous cover-ups and the outrageous uh, retaliation against people who stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. This needs to be addressed. And because it pops the bubble, doesn't it? It pops that reputation of uh, uh, the best, the greatest, you know, they can't say that anymore if it's revealed that somebody is incompetent or more than one. So, no, I wasn't surprised about the guy uh, who was a supervisor. Uh, he didn't even bother opening a case because, you know, um, a lot of people didn't come in to work those kind of things. They didn't come into the FBI to work those kind of things. A lot of military. Um, and that's why if you... <laughs> If you ever look at the statistical data, uh, guess who uh, is assigned the majority of those cases? Who? Make a guess. You only have two sexes. Men. Women. Women are assigned to the sex crimes? Yeah. Well, I think that, I actually think that's a good idea. Well, in this case, yes, because they appear to have a little more compassion, but um, they really shouldn't. You shouldn't be pigeonholed by that because uh, really uh, promotions are not based on those kind of cases. But at least I never saw it in my career. Well, so of course you'd have women doing it, you know. Oh God, I mean, uh, so when you, <laughs> again, I'm shocked because you go, well, you know, sex, child sex crimes, you know, promotions aren't big in that area. So people aren't big on that. I'm just like, my head is reeling, you know, I never expected, I have to tell you, in yes. this conversation that we're having, yes. I never expected you to reveal something that I had not even contemplated about the FBI, which is they're not really, when they go out in the field, when they, after they leave their Quantico training, they're not yes. really trained to do anything specifically at all. Well, you're trained to shoot your gun because you can't get through training without that. Well, anybody uh, can get trained to shoot a gun, you know, <laughs> any literally anybody, unless you can't, you know, you're too crazy or whatever to, to, to right. get your gun. But, so I'm sorry, that's not a criteria. You're trained to know the law okay. because, of course, that's important. And the third aspect you get in training, it's physical. So you have to, you know, you have to know how to fight and you have to know how to do those kind of things and be in good shape. So those are and the three things. That's it? Well, that's the three big core when I went through. <laughs> oh, my and God, then, Jane, I can't stand no. this. <laughs> well, that's what I say. And then you get your badge and uh, it's figured that uh, any agent can do anything. So, yes, there's been some real problems that have occurred 
Uh, and I could do a list of them after the terrorism hit big. Uh, that was seen as a major thing in the FBI. And people brought in their good friends to get these plum positions. And the agents who uh, had training, um, uh, Bassem Youssef is an excellent example, could speak the language. He was bounced out so somebody could have his spot. Um, it, it's figured if you're an agent, you can do anything. So that allows for you know, the good old boy network to continue. And before people think that I'm bashing the Bureau, I love the Bureau. I spent 25 years in it. Um, I, I, I met some of the finest people I'll ever meet in the Bureau. Um, I also met some of the biggest blowhards and um, almost, well, one was a sociopath. So, you know, the fact they don't do anything about these people who are terribly incompetent or sociopathic, uh, that's where the problem is. Yeah, but you have, you have a structural, political uh, training, particularly training problem at the FBI. If people don't hit the ground ready to address specifically the crimes that they are are assigned to address that my dear jane is a humongous problem particularly with terrorism for example and now when you're yeah. telling me that you have an institution that is so politicized that someone yeah. who is who speaks the language of the terrorists who's a, an, a fantastic agent yeah. is shunted aside because somebody else is a better political operator than he is to take right. his job that scares me and it should scare everybody and now we can well, understand why yes. big big uh cases okay big huge yeah. cases and i know i've looked into some of them where in the end there is no there, there's either a huge cover-up, like I did the TWA, I worked on the TWA case and ended yes. up doing a film uh, with six whistleblowers who were part of the original um, investigation, NTSB investigation, yes. including a lead, a senior NTSB investigator. And the FBI was put in charge of that investigation, even though they... The FBI knows nothing about airline, you know, investigating yeah. airplane crashes. They know nothing. Yeah. And they became the lead agency. And in the end, they just shut the whole thing down, covered up a whole bunch of evidence with what? A CIA animation, an animation done by the CIA, which was yeah. completely bogus. So that's a very high profile case. The Whitey Bulger case and everything oh. that, oh. that I Ouch. mean, so now because of what you just said, Ouch. I now understand what the big problem is. Does this, does the FBI know that it has these? You know, I think they're more, I think they're more concerned with the reputation. So uh, I'll just give you, I'll give you a couple examples. Yeah, but the reputation is never going to get better unless they train their guys properly and specifically for whatever jobs they're going to do. It's never going to get better. They're going to constantly be covering up their incompetence. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, and that's probably a congressional uh, problem. But let me give an example. Uh, Fred Whiters uh, of the FBI lab fame, he blew the whistle on uh, incompetent people there in the lab, and they shot him. Uh, oh. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a real quick example. Yeah. You'll like this one. I put in for an Indian desk back at Washington, D.C., and they picked a guy, uh, no surprise there, during, during this time, we're talking years ago, who was out of New Jersey. And this guy couldn't, wouldn't have been able to recognize an Indian if he'd run into him on the street. So I called back there and I said, uh, I, I'm just curious why you picked this uh, gentleman from New Jersey over somebody like me who's had years of experience working Indian cases. And the head of the criminal section of the FBI said to me, well, we knew him and we did not know you. Okay. I said, how are you going to get to know me? And he said, well, if you come back here on a rotation and work back in headquarters for a couple of weeks, which I did, I, if that's the secret, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And uh, I did. I went back and worked two weeks in the criminal division so they could get to know me. And uh, of course, I came back into Minneapolis. And uh, of course, we had this huge blow up EEO and a cover-up of uh, theft from Ground Zero, bunch of stuff. So, but uh, the fact that he said that, just like no big deal. Well, we didn't know you. So, oh, is, so it's it's not merit, huh? It's who you know. Well, yeah. the other thing is, is I'm wondering, is is sexism a big problem in the FBI? Oh, big problem. Oh, always has been. Hoover, so, uh, it may be dead, but he lives on in the bureau. Oh, big problem. Always has been. You know, for a man who's worn a tutu once or twice in his life, that's... Oh, no. That's a oh, hell no, of a... You're going to get hate mail. You're going to get hate mail. I don't care because I feel like the FBI has a job to do. And on these yes. huge cases, it's not doing its job. And you know what? You put your finger on it. I mean, I never thought of that. I never thought yeah. of the fact that they leave Quantico and they're really not specifically trained to do anything. Except, you know, shoot a gun. Be physically right. fit. And what was the third right. thing? Uh, know the oh, no, know the law, you know? And so yeah. I, I just, I, I, I think if that, that to me, I didn't, I didn't anticipate that to be the biggest takeaway from, from our conversation here, but yeah. So, so, okay. But let's talk about something here because we're talking child sex abuse. Sure. We're talking something like in the cyber world, for example, sure. I remember there's a, a 2011 bust um of the dark web where they yeah. busted a, a network of 70,000 yeah. people who were on this pedophile network i i have read books about rampant pedophilia in government agencies at the at the very top uh you now have groups like there's a, a group now it's called um veterans uh, for child rescue they it's such a huge problem that other people are forming groups to address it themselves outside of the institutional agencies that are supposed to be addressing it you know this veterans for child rescue is they're going around the country they're working with local law enforcement and 
everywhere they go. They've got, I mean, in this one documentary I was watching the other day, who walks in into from this local town? They were in this town. I forget where it was. They walk, who walks in, but the army recruiter, the local army recruiter, okay, U.S. Army recruiter walks in to, you know, have sex with a 13-year-old kid and, and gets busted. So, you know, you're a profiler. Mm-hmm. Who are these people? Who are they? Well, that's, that's where training comes in. You know, there's, there's different subsets and um, it does take expertise to parse it out. There's, there, it, offenders do it for a myriad of reasons. There's a myriad of offenders. So uh, you have to know the offender uh, profile in order to determine, you know, what the reasoning for it is. You know, because my- there some some offenders simply get drunk, and it, it, we call that a crime of opportunity. Boom, you know the only thing around is a nine-year-old. Um, there's fixated pedophiles. So I mean, it, there's all kinds of things. It it really is. Uh, there's a lot to it. It's it's not simple. That supervisor, when the guy came in to file a complaint against Nasser. He probably had no idea what the guy was talking about, you know, pelvic floors and, you know, and of course you're going to go with the doctor because the doctor. Pelvic floor. I'm sorry. If you talk about vaginal exams, okay, you come in with a shoulder that's hurting you and all of a sudden you have to have a vaginal exam. I'm sorry. (laughs) I I could explain that to my uh, 10 year old and they'd get that. If you come right, from and you want to stick your finger in somebody's vagina, that's, yeah. a, that's a whole different exam, isn't it? I mean, come on. But, that's, but see, it's easy. It's easy to figure just like my guy. Well, the doctor didn't know what he was talking about. In this case, in the Nasser case, the supervisor probably felt the doctor knew what he was talking about. So it's all got to do with um, how good you are at your job. Are you just going to go beyond somebody telling you something? Are you actually going to do an investigation? And that's what I did. I, I would go, I would, it was like a pit bull. I'd go in there and, you know, just tear everything apart, finding out the truth. Okay. These people do not. Here's the thing. Yeah. A doctor tells you one thing. Yes. Meanwhile, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, all these like a dozen girls arrayed versus this doctor. And these girls right. are all old enough to know what's going on when they walk in there. Are you telling me that their testimony, okay, or their description of what happened to them does not inspire you to want to go look at, talk to the doctor again and look at his records and see what he has to say? And if all their stories match. Yes which they did, you're telling me that doctor has more, what he says carries more weight than all these girls? I, I don't get it. I, I mean, it's not even a matter of having expertise. I'm right. not an expert, and I'm telling you, if I went and talked to him, I was, no. You would have seen him. Uh, yeah. But all these girls, I go, uh, can I see your, can I see your right. you know, documents here? Could, could right. we have another chat? Could we this? Could right. We Did you do, you know? Right. But that's not done. No, he didn't want to. 
but that's not good enough. He didn't want to. That's like saying, I don't want to do my job. I'm going to let this crime continue. Okay, let me put it this way. Is that not aiding and abetting the crime? Well, let me put it this way. You would have never found out. I mean, this is done every day. Uh, they supervisors make decisions on what's open and what's closed. He decided um, he didn't want to open it. So he would have never been caught unless this had been a high profile deal. So you have to ask yourself, how many have slid by that weren't oh, high profile? Listen, I'm watching the whole Epstein thing happen right now. And I'm yeah. and just like Anthony Weiner, you know, Huma yeah. Abedin's husband. They yeah. found all this stuff on his computer. Have you noticed how, I mean, yeah, he went to jail for what? A few months, I don't know, not very long. But I, I, it's almost like I have... I'm suspicious that there is protection in the FBI of high profile people. I'm suspicious of that. And I, that's way above my pay grade. Well, whose pay grade is it? Oh, that would be the top. Well, let me ask you something, given what you know about the institution, sure. given your experience, Sure. If someone said, you know, I'm suspicious that there's high profile, high level protection of uh, political leaders, for example, uh, high level, maybe business leaders or whatever, um, when it comes to child sex crimes, uh, would you say, yeah, I think that's some that's a legitimate thing to look into? Or would you say, no, that's not possible? Well, uh, most people would say that's not possible. However, in my experience, I know anything's possible because of what happened to me. Uh, uh, no one would have ever thought that what happened to me would have happened. Uh, the Bureau would have never done that, uh, but they did. So I don't know what's possible, but I know those questions should be directed at Congress and Congress should be asked, you know, what is happening at the FBI? Why are these things happening? And is there a cover-up of high political leaders? Congress has the ability, uh, um, but they don't have much of an appetite to control the FBI. They have the ability, they do not have the appetite. Why? Why do they not have the appetite? <laughs> well, I talked to two senators about my uh, case, uh, two senators I had helped in terms of FBI stuff. I had uh, helped them on cases. Both of them told me uh, they would not take on the FBI. And- um, Are they afraid of retaliation? Oh, yes. Uh, attorneys. Uh, you well, have to find an attorney like Stephen Cohn from the National Whistleblower Center. There, there are not a lot of attorneys willing to take on the FBI just because they are brutal. They are brutal. You know, and they may have something on you. I mean, uh, I can't blame- Congress, I've seen so many people, you know, concerned. I can blame them. It's their job. Yes. We pay them. It's their uh, it job. is their I'm job. So sorry, I'm not going to, you know. But they're doing it with Nasser. They're doing it with Nasser. So you got to give them credit. They are doing it with Nasser. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that because we've run out of time. But, Jane, you're a hero in my book.